Hello and welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here with my favorite co-host. Hello, this is Cory Small. We're going to wrap up the festival, our coverage of the festival, and uh, tell you about some films, some uh, some of the, the films that have really stuck with us and that are highlights for us, so that you go into the closing weekend and uh, catch some of these. And then don't panic, because if you don't catch these... I don't think we're talking about a single one that is not going to somehow get a release. Um, it's just, uh, you never know, director might still be here or, you know, it's the excitement of the festival. So it's fun to see it at the festival, but don't panic if you miss it. So I th- we're going to start off with a film, a much buzzed about film that Courtney uh, saw. Yes, today I saw uh, A Star is Born. Which is the fourth incarnation? Nope. You of know the what? Story? I found out it's the fifth. Nobody knows about the f- the very first one because it wasn't called A Star Is Born. Oh. That's what that's what my friend, another critic, told me. Okay. She tends to know a lot about film history, so well, I trust her. That's fascinating. Okay, it's so fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth, <laughs> uh, and it's directed by Bradley Cooper. He's making his directorial debut, and it's about a musician whose career is starting to fall on some tough times and he's got problems with alcohol and drugs and uh, starting to lose his hearing and he one drunken night stumbles into a bar and discovers a young up-and-coming singer played by Lady Gaga and the two have a romance and as her career takes off his falls further into the toilet and it's really just watching them kind of navigate the two shifting and world. the tension, right? And the tension that evolves. And and also the romance as well. It's a very romantic film and it's it's surprisingly good. There's been a lot of buzz about it and a lot of people have been saying it, yeah, that a lot you of know it's, it's a saying, film you should see and yeah. I thought okay, well, how good could it be? But it's it's really good. <laughs> it's one of those that you know you might need a little Kleenex at parts, but you just get you're so wrapped up in the love story and the chemistry together is is fantastic and I believe they perform all the the songs themselves. Mhm. Um, so, so he he Went ahead and he took lessons, right? He apparently he took lessons, and if I understand correctly, some of the concert footage they shot within like eight minutes because they, I guess they didn't have the budget to get like massive amount of extras. Mm-hmm. So he would go to like let's say Glastonbury or some festival where Chris Christopherson is playing, and Chris Christopherson, as the story goes, would give him eight minutes in between a set so that they could perform a song. And some of these songs he might have, Bradley Cooper, like, wrote overnight or something. Okay, this is funny because Chris Christopherson was in one of the previous incarnations yeah, with Barbara Streisand. Yep. Yeah, Oh. Yeah, so, and it's got a really good cast. Sam Elliott's in it. Dave Chappelle's in it briefly. Uh, it's just a really entertaining, rich love story. Wow. Oh, well, okay. Can I Can I switch uh, course then sure. and tell you about one of the most entertaining films that I saw and it's it's called Shadow by Zhang Yimou and you know he, it's in the master's program because of course Zhang Yimou you would know especially I think the, the most famous one is Raise the Red Lantern although no House of Flying Daggers I think is a, a yeah, pretty and, famous and hero hero did very well yeah okay so you know he's he's made these films and they they're very famous and uh, everybody like the, I went I saw it with a crowd like the the public instead of at a press screening and the crowd was so like 
psyched for this film. And sitting there and watching this film in the midst of, you know, all, a bunch of films that, you know, we watch films that are, are great or some are not great. You know, and we watch them for various reasons. Some are interesting satires, and and some are trying to make certain points and and or experiment with this or that. Where Shadow, he's definitely playing around with form and content here, but it's so damn entertaining that there are times when you just go, "This is the magic of cinema." Mm-hmm. He's such. He's so good. He's, it's like it's an epic story. Uh, it takes place in an old old dynasty, and uh, the kingdom is run by this wild and dangerous king. He's very unstable, and um, there's his military commander, played by the actor Deng Chao, and he's um, Deng Chao has a very important role because the military commander, you know, has. He's the guy that really is not only the king's right-hand man, but he's really the, the reason why this this king has this kingdom because they've been battling, you know, for different houses and different places. Dynasties have been battling for all this land, and finally it's because of this military commander and his bravery. And so he's really the hero. But for various reasons, you'll find out he has a shadow, um, a person played by Deng Chao also, who is someone that Deng, Deng Chao's uh, character, the military commander, takes uh, to be his double. Oh, okay. And so there's all this intrigue, especially because uh, the military commander is married and she's sort of in on it. So, oh, yeah, okay, you're yeah. Looking, yeah, you're looking very confused, but it's no, actually... No, it's, it sounds interesting. But, and what... what is so masterful, masterful and wonderful about the film is the sets in the king in the castle in yeah it, it's so breathtaking. Everything looks the set, the costume, everything looks like um, uh, ink drawings, like those those classic Chinese ink drawings, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a certain look, and it's it's breathtaking to to watch, and yet you're watching this absorbing story, um, and then he mixes that with, of course, it's it's es- escapist fun, but it's like these giant thematics, right? Those those giant themes of love and war and battle and good versus evil, and you know, uh, but he brings them down. To, to a level that we can relate to because everything's represented by a, a person, a character, you know. Um, so it's just a really, a, like, in terms of form and content and the pl- interplay, it's like there's such originality. And and then when when the battles scenes start happening because there's, there's another fight that comes, like another fight with another dynasty that comes along, when the martial arts starts happening in there, it's it's not just an, a martial arts film, you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything he throws into this film, uh, and he's not throwing, like he's not being careless. Everything he brings in is brought in for a reason, and it serves uh, like this in- incredible purpose. And in the end, it's also one that you can just sit back and go, "This is just an amazing film. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing story. And it's an amazing film, and it's amazing to look at." 
and it's memorable. I'll never forget this. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's called Shadow by Zhang Yumu. You have to check that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're gonna, if we're talking about gorgeous looking, memorable films. Yeah, should we jump into Roma? Oh, definitely. We can't. We cannot. Alfonso yeah. Caron, and it's a. It's done in black and white cinematography, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Every single frame absolutely, you could yeah. take and just put on your wall as art, you can meditate on. And it focuses, I guess it's semi-autobiographical. Yes, it is. And it focuses on a young maid in uh, Mexico City in the 1970s. And she's working to keep this household where the, the matriarch and patriarch of the house are, are having marital problems. And they've and got they're about, middle class. Yeah. yeah, they're middle class, and they've got about six kids or so. And so, as all that's going on, and she's trying to just do her job and keep the house afloat, she also discovers she's pregnant. And the father of her um, soon-to-be-born child has decided that he wants no part of her, and he's just oh, he's just off. selfish, right? He's yeah. just focused on his own his martial arts training. And speaking of martial arts, yeah, yeah. He, he's got his martial arts training, and he's focused on that. And so, you've got this story. Uh, it goes off into her story, but you've also got the story of the family, mm-hmm. and so it's this this por- really amazing portrait of 1970, actually, uh, Mexico City and life there, and you've got this duality going on of this like middle class family and this poor indigenous servant, right? Um, and the 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 two women from like the woman from the family, she ends up having to you know try and keep the household together herself so it's the two women facing single motherhood right and trying to balance that yeah and the maid i find has to do a lot of the the heavy lifting and it's weird because the family's middle class but yet when it comes to interacting with the maid they act as if they're upper class the the the, 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 the adults the, do not yeah. the children. Well, the children adore the her. The children adore her, but there's but even the little guy. The little they don't like when she speaks in her indigenous tongue because early on like the youngest yeah. kid is like, you know, what are you saying? Don't speak like that, you know? And even at a very t- young age, she's you can see it's ingrained in him that even though you love the maid, she's still beneath you. Yeah. You know, so like those type of layers to the film and it's it's just Or a, is he being possessive? Well, maybe. I mean, you could argue that she's more of a mother to him than his actual mother. That's right. So. But the film definitely shows you both the difference, the mm-hmm. major, major differences between both worlds. Because when when the maid does go and uh, either she goes shopping or she goes to meet the boyfriend mm-hmm. when he's still the boyfriend instead of the father, well, you know, um, she's she's amongst her people. So, you know, it's interesting um, when you see the subtitles and the subtitles, like she's on the bus and the subtitles say various indigenous languages. Yeah. So you've got a great sense that there's a lot of different kinds of people, uh, but the middle class family is completely divorced from them. But meanwhile, you've got this vibrant but much poorer um, culture going on as well. Yeah, and there's moments where um, the the two cultures are forced to merge. Like there's a, a fire that breaks out at one point that yeah. everyone has to leave a party and regardless of class, they're all working to try and put out the fire. And then there's the Corpus Christi massacre in 71. Yeah. That, you know, it, it really comes into, has an interesting, very important part to play in the narrative mm-hmm. in what happens. 
Um, it, what I what I loved about uh, this film was the beauty of it and the the portraits and the you know each image was as you said so precious and so so nuanced and so evocative but also the interaction between various narratives this is a, a film that sort of has a center but allows so many different kinds of impressions stories events yep. to ha- come through pass through keep every everything just and everybody has a place to pass through and sometimes merge and sometimes clash and then pass out again from the center. Yeah, it's a really fascinating film that you, you should definitely see on the big screen. I know Netflix definitely. has the, the rights and I think they're going to do a theatrical and so then streaming, people, but you have yeah. to see it on the big screen. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, they're going to probably do one of those release on like limited release. Well, I think with this one, I think they're going to give it an Oscar push. So I, I think they've learned they from better. Amazon. They had that better they're because give it a proper release. Been, yeah, I mean, we've heard, at least what I have heard is like a lot of people are doubting. They're like, no, they're going to toss it in some little cinemas and just have like limited runs and just be Netflix because Netflix does not have a good reputation with you know the big the big movies it tends now it's attracting these big filmmakers with it's 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 ironic like these big filmmakers with these big images big screen images like when Bong Joon-ho made a film oh yeah Okja yeah his last film Bong Joon-ho is a big screen guy he's that's his vision and somehow he signed on with Netflix and the only way you could see it in Toronto was at TIFF Lightbox Mm -hmm. That's not enough. Yeah, well, I think they're I think they're changing it though, because the the one good thing I will say about Netflix is they're giving filmmakers the money and then letting them make the films they want to make. That that's whereas a, a good lot point, of studios yeah. aren't gonna you know a black and white film about Mexico City. A lot of studios aren't gonna nineteen seventies Mexico City. Nineteen seventies. Yeah. They're not gonna give him that money unless you have like a Sandra Bullock or a George Clooney. Exactly. There are no stars right? in this so, film. I think they've learned, they've seen what Amazon has done with like um, Manchester by the Sea and yes. the awards claim, um, recognition that they've received. So I think with this one, they're going to they're gonna finally, quote unquote, do it properly. I hope so. And, I'm crossing my fingers. And start to get the, the awards recognition. Okay. I hope that they listen to this <laughs> and <laughs> listen to you. <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to... Uh, do you want to keep on the black and white theme with Cold War? All right. Yeah, and oh, that's another um, that's another film that yeah, it's a beautiful big screen experience. Cold War. Pavel Pavlikovsky. He made Ida. Uh, you'll remember that film. And so this is you know the second feature that it captured a lot of attention, especially when it was at Cannes this past year. He won Best Director for this film, and you could see why. In I mean, talk about. Um, the way that he 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 just brings a lot of different forces together and and finds a way to sort of uh, have things interact in a, in a really interesting way and yes talk about black and white yeah the cinematography is fantastic and you've got again a, a love story about a uh, I guess music director of sorts and he's been tasked with getting the rural sound of of the environment and he comes across this young feisty singer and they fall in love in a time when the world is changing and it's not as easily to to love who you want or basically live the life you want yeah it's post-world war ii in poland and and at the end of world war ii russia had a possession of poland 
and uh, which means Soviet Russia. So then uh, the uh, the irony, the great irony, or the great tension in the film is that they start off and they're trying to capture the sound of the folk the folk songs and so they go off into these like tiny villages and capture these these old men and women and children singing these old songs uh, and they they try and this is how they create the the famous dance group or at least it seems loosely based because there was this famous famous dance group anybody who's polish the, you know you were dragged as a child to go see the the I forgot. <laughs> I forgot what they're called. That's okay. But anyway, there's various dance troops mm-hmm. that you know would come from Poland, and then you know the, every Polish person in Toronto was obligated to go, and every child was dragged. And we saw these these things that with the dance, the traditional dancing and the traditional um, songs. And in the film, there's more and more of a tension between uh, those old folk songs, which are you know the authentic, it's presented as the authentic and to me, the authentic Poland, and then the the um, intrusion of the Soviets and the, and the Soviet culture. So there's that tension going on. And so the relationship and the film really reflects what happened to the nation of Poland. Yeah. I think that it's just a, it's a giant metaphor. And when you see, you know, it's going to get a release, thanks to Mongrel Media in Canada. Uh, when it gets a release, you'll, you'll be able to see, and we'll talk, we can talk about the film more mm-hmm. in more detail, but you can see um, how it's a metaphor and how that works and actually helps you through the relationship because it, it takes all these twists and turns that that I don't know that they would make a lot of sense if you didn't keep in mind that this really is more the overarching sort of vision of the film is more about what happens when you take away a nation, nation the 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 sense of nation uh, the the heart of a nation you take away that um, because these are people that they are their identity you take away the identity of the nation by imposing you know a, a culture on top and so what happens is then. That affects the identity of the people, and so it, this is what happens when a nation is sort of suffering this identity crisis, mm-hmm. and the people being part of the nation, they're they're suffering in a in a kind of way too. You'll yeah. see when you see the film. Okay, so that was Cold War. That was Cold War. Well, you know what? I'm going to loosely keep on the the theme of suffering and uh, and twist and talk about Karen Kusama's Destroyer. And it's a film that stars um, Nicole Kidman as a jaded undercover police officer who, years later, an old unresolved case pops up when she discovers um, a dead body or when the police discover a dead body. And she goes on a, a mission to, I guess, tie up some outstanding loose ends and in many ways does the kind of rogue cop I'm willing to break the laws to 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 get payback, and it's a really great thriller. Um, Nicole Kidman, she looks haggard in this film, and I know some of it. I know <laughs> some of it that. is makeup, but you can also see the film does flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. So you can tell that it's not just makeup. Like she she lost a lot of weight. You can see it in her neck and just the mannerisms like you you get the sense that this this cop has led a a rough life you know and she's just trying to make it through the day and she's got issues with her young teenage daughter and i I won't 
dive into it too deep because it's one of those that you really need to see. But Nicole Kidman's wonderful, and the thriller does um, it does get you. Interesting. Okay, well, I've got a thriller for you. Um, there's a film. It's part of the platform program, which means that it's up for this international prize. Mm-hmm. There are a number of, of uh, master filmmakers here. Yeah, Destroyer's actually in that program as well. Oh, there you go. Yep. Okay, so Destroyer. So in the, the same vein as uh, as that, um, this one, you know, rumors rumors are flying about this film, Rojo, by Benjamin Neistat. I hope I did him justice there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's set in Argentina. In, in Okay, so Argentina in the mid-70s. So I, I've spent a lot of time. No, not a lot. But I've spent a bit of time in Latin America in the 70s in, during this festival. And I've loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, this this film is, uh, is uh, interesting um, because there's also these references to what's happening culturally. So it is a thriller about um, a private detective Okay, it's kind of hard to st- to know where to start with the description of this film, because what happen what happens is the what's usually the end of the thriller, which is we know what happens, mm-hmm. and it just it then the private detective comes and has to f- we see how he's figuring it out. Okay, but we're seeing it from the point of view of the perpetrator. Oh, okay, and so it starts off actually. It's it's enigmatic right at the beginning because you don't know what what's going on. It's a man in a restaurant who has a disagreement with another man in a restaurant, and it escalates so quickly and so and mysteriously. Mm-hmm. And the the level of their discourse, you know, flinging insults at each other, is almost like a class war being reenacted just oh. in the discussion. And then that's when something goes terribly wrong. It's, it's, it seems to lead inexplicably, but it's, it's sort of like the character has no idea what to do in this situation and just some sort of animal uh, illogic takes over. And mm-hmm. then this, this terrible thing happens uh, and this person tries to go through life and then – and, and you think you're away from that, and then suddenly uh, there's this coincidence, and it turns out that he he inadvertently doesn't know the person that is now gone deceased. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, and so we're in we're in the middle middle kind of middle upper class now. So it, it's again like like Roma. You're watching people who who have a certain kind of uh, privilege. Certain mm-hmm. kind of, uh, he's a lawyer and uh, he has a certain esteem in society, and people hold him in that regard. And so, the more you get to know about him, the more unbelievable the actions become and the behavior at the beginning become. And then, yeah, it's a thriller because the the family, the other family of the of the victim, they hire this detective, and then the the. The tension between and and the intrigue between the two and how they interact, uh, you just you're and you're not going to believe how this this ends. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's every second of this film, and in terms of uh, recreating '70s life, this this is done in color, but it's got that that texture. I don't when you look at old photos or old films. 
straight from the 70s, not like redone. There's a, a red tinge to them. And rojo means red, which refers to something else in the film. But also it kind of reminded me that if you have old photographs from the 70s, the film stock was kind of, if it was cheap enough it, or if it was sort of like, not cheap enough, but if it was a certain type of film stock, it turned red. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, the, yeah, yeah, so the reference Rojo is, uh, references a lot of different things. and But you know what? This this keeps you at the edge of your seat, even though it's not set up like a traditional thriller. And I think that's the genius of mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, check that one out before they give it the platform pl- prize. That's my prediction. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I'm going to talk about uh, Can You Ever Forgive Me? And it is directed by Mariel Heller. And it's based on, I guess, the true story of Lee Israel. And Lee Israel was a famous celebrity biographer um, who got into some trouble because she fell on some hard times. And in need of cash, she discovered the, I guess you could say, the the world of collectors and the fact that we are in a society obsessed with celebrities. So people want to collect anything from letters to books that have any famous person's name attached to it. So what she started to do is she started to forge letters and sell them. So And from <clears throat> various cele- like famous authors, uh, movie stars, and it got to the point where her letters, I think one of them traveled to the wrong person. And the person that she was writing about, I guess it was their partner or someone close to them knew that they would never be let's say as frank about their sexuality in a letter or they wouldn't say if they wouldn't use this phrase and that's what started to get people wondering about the authenticity of the letters and the fbi and whatnot got involved so it's a the film pretty much covers that period of her life and melissa mccarthy plays lee israel in the film and she's very good um she she does a really nice understated job and she's paired with Richard E. Grant who is hilarious in the film. He's kind of like the uh, drunken sidekick, her only real friend and you know the one that is going to help bumble things up as well. So she's doing understated in this film and someone else is doing the comedy. Yes. Yeah. Oh I love this. Yeah she's an actress that has a lot of range. I think because uh, so many people associate her with like the slapstick falling down the stairs type of comedy, um, people will usually write her off. But if you look back to some of her earlier stuff, like the nines, um, she she has range. She can do the comedy. She can do serious. Here, you know, she's got some funny lines in it, but it's still a very kind of understated, gruff kind of performance, and she she pulls it off. She pulls it off. I think it's. I think it's worth seeing just for for her performance and Richard E. Grant's performance. Yeah, and to have some laughs. Mm-hmm. I don't have a laugh film at all on my list. I do have one more, kind of uh, gets under your skin and is like, uh, it's a fascinating experience. I I think that's that's it for me. I have that just that one sure. left. So I know you're going to end on a different note. Yeah, I, I have two left, but we can, okay. I can get through them real quick. Okay, so this uh, this film is going to be released by Films We Like, so if you miss it, don't panic. Uh, but definitely, you know, like tr- if try and see it because this is a fantastic film. It's called Transit, 
and it's by Christian Petzold. And he's known for films. Uh, in 2015, he made a Phoenix. And in 2012, he made a film called Barbara. So anybody who makes a film called Barbara has got to be okay, right? No. Well, yes, yes. But and Phoenix <laughs> no. is great as well. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but uh, I particularly love Transit, which is this, this latest film. And this is playing at TIFF. Um, it's a follow-up to Phoenix, and it's based on Anne Sager's 1944 novel of the same name, Transit. And uh, Transit is about some uh, people, like refugees, sort of stuck in, in a spot in Europe in between the war, like they're escaping. But it, Transit is a, sort of this this place and this this situation and this that they're in like they're in this sort of like gr- level ground of like of the transit you know they're in transit they're looking for transit they're you know because they want to get off the continent they want to go to the states or mexico they just want to you know it's it's a refugee kind of story but they're they're kind of in limbo waiting they're waiting for mm-hmm. transit and it's uh, it's about a, it's about this this young man and his attempts, uh, and then he meets this couple, and then the the interactions uh, between the three of them start to com- get really confusing in terms of who's with whom and who who is going to go with whom, and who's the couple here. Um, so there's all different levels of transit, and you know, there's there's a long quote which I won't read, but uh, Patzold is talking about you know uh, the transit space. And and how it's this sort of horizontal space. It's a it's a geographical space. It's the space between Europe and the United States. It's a port city. It's a, you know, he's talking about that, and and you really feel it. And it's just the every image, every scene is sort of has got the this sort of sense of impending, like it's waiting and impending. Um, indecision, not indecision. It's like you don't know, like they don't know. At any mm-hmm. moment they could go, or at any moment their plans could get screwed up. At any moment, especially in this, the the actor who plays the main character, Franz Rogowski, it's a breakout performance. And uh, the, what's also fascinating about the film is that it makes it even more deeply affecting and haunting is the fact that they're obviously in 1944. They're in Marseille. Sorry, I mm-hmm. didn't mention that at the beginning. They're in Marseille. The the fact that uh, there are things in the shots, in the, in the settings, that are obviously references to 1944, but there's others that are obviously references to now. So it gives you this sort of uh, insight into, like, the refugee... Um, feel of not belonging anywhere and in time time is like it's just it's blurred in this film and that's why it's so affecting to us to watch it now Mm -hmm. oh that sounds yeah it's fast it's just a genius film transit yes um i'm going to talk about two really quick uh and i'm going to start off with if bill street could talk uh, because that is a. I'm so sorry I missed that. It I'm is a miss wonderful that one film. Fast. Yes. Uh, 
by director Barry Jenkins, who did Moonlight, and it's based off of the novel of the same name by James Baldwin. And the film follows a young couple in love who are trying to start a future together. And when um, the, the woman in the couple, Trish, discovers she's pregnant, it comes at an inopportune time because her boyfriend, Fonny, has just been sent to jail for a crime he didn't commit. So the film is, tries, navigates their relationship with um, him being in prison and her trying to get her out, um, and also the family and how they're all trying to to help Fani as well, and just the the sense of desperation that goes on in the society, and it hits on a lot of things. It's deeply romantic, um, and it's it's just gorgeous to look at. Barry Jenkins, his use of color and lighting, it's it's phenomenal. But it also has a lot of great commentary on um, basically the the way how the system is kind of designed against black people, especially in America, um, and how especially when it comes to abuse of power by the police and even simple things as them trying to, to rent an apartment, how that becomes a, a chore because people don't want at that, especially at that time, didn't want to rent to, to black when, individuals. When, when was it set? This was, I, I guess in the sixties, I think, yeah, I think it's early sixties. Okay. If I remember correctly, I read the book earlier this year, but with all the, the films we've experienced this week, I can't remember the exact, date but yeah, i would say 60s like 60s 70s at that era yeah. yeah um and it's just a really powerful film it's again it's romantic it's heartbreaking it gives you a lot to to think about um and the performances the entire cast is is great like even people in minor roles that come up for one or two scenes delivers like really important moments so it's definitely one to to check out. Yeah, I'm saving that one for post festival. I can't wait. Till yes, it gets released. It's uh, if if you enjoyed Moonlight. Yeah, I love. You'll Moonlight, definitely. You know, so. this is a different film, but still very very captivating. And the last one that I will talk about, I'm going to end on a on a high note because it's been a heavy week for for us. We were saying before we went on air, we've seen a lot of heavy films yeah. about just heavy subject matter and it's not us it's the festival no it's just the festival there's there's been a lot of films about addiction violence um and okay we shouldn't say the festival it's like they choose from what's out there yeah so it's that's just uh what people are concerned with and that's the kind of films they're making but there is a comedy that's playing and i'm sure it's playing this weekend and it's called the weekend um by (laughs) perfect (laughs) yes by canadian filmmaker stella maggie and it's uh delightful film that stars uh, Shashir Zamata and she was she used to be on SNL. Yes, and I loved her on SNL. So, though, though she was never on enough. No, she I think she when she left SNL it was on bad terms probably because she wasn't getting enough yeah airtime and roles. I don't blame her for being angry with them if she if she's if she left, you know, yeah. feeling angry with them. From what I understand SNL's had a problem getting like um, a lot of their minority cast members in more prominent scenes, but that's that's a discussion for another day. Yes, we will have that discussion. Yes, in this particular film, she plays a stand-up uh, comic who decides to, I guess, take her best friend, who's a, a male, to her mother's bed and uh, breakfast resort because she missed his birthday and it's just a way to kind of make amends. And he decides to invite his new girlfriend along. Oh, no! <laughs> yes, so, and clearly... Um, Zamata's character has some unresolved issues, and while they're there, there's also a guest at the bed and breakfast that catches her eye. So it's it's literally you're watching 
two couples kind of navigate this this weekend, these three days together, <laughs> while there's a lot of unspoken stuff going on, and it's just a really um, delightful romantic comedy. Uh, it has you know some serious moments in it, but overall, it's just a, a fun film. And if you liked her first film, uh, Gina the Joneses, it's the same kind of jazzy vibe, just. A lot of sharp, yeah, witty, she, witty yeah, dialogue. She was, yeah, Gina the Joneses was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, she's got a good sense of timing and pacing and people. Yeah. She just presents people, you know, like these memorable moments. And and she knows how to shoot actors, you know, in a way where they feel like family. Yep. You get a sense mm-hmm. of them and their feelings for each other, their absolute love, you know. Yeah, and you understand and the, the selfishness of, yeah. of people. Yeah. And, and then this one has the, the great theme of, you know, when it comes to relationships, we often wait for things that we don't necessarily need or, or aren't good for us to be waiting for. Yes. So it's it's a delightful thing. And if you're looking for something light in your festival lineup, that's definitely one to, to see. That sounds like a perfect way to end the festival. Yeah. On a high note, just to have a few laughs. All right. Well, I think we've given you guys a lot to think about. I think, uh, I don't know, I've enjoyed this festival immensely. seen a lot of great stuff. Um, and like we said, you know, if you miss it, uh, they these will be released, thankfully. They they all bear repeat screenings and uh, yeah for anything you've missed you have something to look forward to now yeah and there's there's plenty of films playing so even if uh, there's something that we didn't mention just take a take a risk on something because you'll be excited scared thrilled you might have a laugh too and a laugh hopefully only if you see Stella Maggie's film yes go see the, the weekend, weekend. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's it that's it for Frameline for this week. And that's it for just a, a little while. That's also it for our festival coverage. Yes. And we're just going to take a little break, and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah. In the meantime, have fun at the movies. Definitely. All right.